the whole point of Ember is to identify what patterns the community has settled on. You know, here's this problem that we have. We're going to have a phase of experimentation where people try the, a bunch of different approaches for solving that problem. And then once people more or less agree on like this is a good solution, we roll that back into the framework. And so the next person who comes along who has an app and has that problem, boom, the solution's already there in the framework for them. Episode 108, May 2015. In this interview with Tom Dale, JavaScript developer and EmberJS core member, you will hear about Ember's advantages and downsides, conventions, hype fatigue, fastboot, the adapter layer and backends, as well as about testing tools, RSpec, Capybara, Ember container, and where Tom sees Ember in five years and beyond. What are the advantages and downsides of using Ember? Well, the advantages of using Ember are, well, there are a number of them. The first one, I think, is that in the JavaScript ecosystem, we by far embrace convention over configuration the most. And I continue to believe that uh, when DHH made Rails, he cracked on a really important design philosophy, especially when building software for teams, right? Like, if it's just you or just you and one other person, and you're working on some app, and, and maybe it's like a throwaway app, maybe you're just doing it for a deadline, and then you're never going to touch it again. If you can keep the entire code base in your head, then there's really no reason to learn the Ember conventions. They're, they, they're not buying you very much anyway. But by buying into the Ember conventions, and it's not just in the code, it's around the entire community. It's like, how do we structure applications? What does the file system layout look like, right? There's like convention from top to bottom. And even now with Ember CLI, you have convention in the in the build tools. That convention means that you can easily move between projects so easily. You know, it's shocking to me, like I can go into a new Ember app that I have never used before or seen the source code for, and within five minutes, I can be productive and making changes, right? Because it's so easy to map the app that I'm using onto the source code because of those strong conventions. And it's especially important at, at big companies. That's what a lot of people tell us. And then I would say the other big advantage of Ember is that it's the antidote to JavaScript hype fatigue, right? Like every, every year, it's like there's a new hot framework and you get made fun of if you're using last year's hot framework. Right? It's just constantly changing. And I think you'll notice an interesting thing. Everyone always wants to make these technical comparisons into like a war. You know, it's like, oh, the JavaScript framework wars. And I don't really buy into that. But I think what you will notice is that it's always Ember versus someone, right? First, it was Ember versus Backbone. Then it was Ember versus Angular. Now people want to try to make it into Ember versus React. And the reason that it's always, Ember is always a contender is because of the adaptability of the framework. We build a framework that has a very declarative syntax. It's built strongly on convention. We get the entire community on that convention so that you know, people don't have 100 different flavors of Ember. There's only one flavor of Ember. And that way we can easily migrate the community between these releases. And I think we do a really, really good job of integrating the lessons. We don't have a monopoly on good ideas. There are plenty of good ideas that come out of Backbone, React, Angular, and we're not above incorporating those. And that's actually what we do. And that's why the, the six-week release cycle that we adopted from Chrome is so important. Because it means that we can do these iterative releases that iterate us towards the future. And we do it in such a way they're small enough that you can digest it as a developer. And it's not a big bang, oh my gosh, everything got rewritten. And downsides? 
Well, the downsides of using Ember are, it's definitely a big investment, right? It's a, it's a little bit of, if you're building your own app, you get to decide on the conventions and you have to enforce those conventions yourself. But when you come into Ember, you, you have to learn how all the naming conventions work. You have to understand all those things. I, I think it's worth it. There's definitely a little bit of a, a learning curve involved. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's obviously the, you know, when, when you use Ember, your users have to be using JavaScript. At least historically, that's been the case. You know, since Ember came out, if all of the content that you had or all of the app that you'd written in Ember or any JavaScript framework was inaccessible to Google crawlers, it was inaccessible to curl users who had JavaScript turned off or, you know, on older devices that didn't have a good JavaScript runtime, your applications would be unreachable to them. This is Uh, now changing rapidly, right? Right, yeah. So we're working on Fastboot. And the idea with Fastboot is you can run the same JavaScript app without modifications. You just run it on a server. And of course, on the server, you can install whatever JavaScript runtime you want. And then you render the HTML there, and then you deliver that to the client. So even a client that doesn't have a JavaScript engine can still at least get some of the content, right? Not, not everything is going to work. If you have like a D3 chart, well, you know, that, that's not going to render necessarily on, on the server. And I think that's the important bit about having the conventions, right? Because there are ways that you can badger other JavaScript libraries into running on the server. It's possible. But the point of having the convention, not just around how the view layer is architected, for example, but how the entire data layer is architected and how the entire build system is architected, means that with a single plugin, you just add this plugin and boom, you've got this functionality. You don't have to spend like weeks and weeks tweaking it to make it work for your app. And I think that's going to be huge. Where do you see Ember in five years? Well, I, hopefully we'll still be around. You know, I think the half-life of the average JavaScript library is not five years or, you know, even two years. It's like these things come and go so fast. But I think that we're going to be around for a few decades. And the whole point of Ember is to identify what patterns the community has settled on. You know, here's this problem that we have. We're going to have a phase of experimentation where people try a bunch of different approaches for solving that problem. And then once people more or less agree on that, this is a good solution, we roll that back into the framework. And so the next person who comes along who has an app and has that problem, boom, the solution's already there in the framework for them. So I don't know if I could guess five years out what the web is going to look like, but I would guess that there's, a, there's just so much left unsolved that we can help developers with. My prediction is that in, what is that, what is that, 2020? In 2020, if your app uses server-side routing instead of client-side routing, like with an Ember app, it's going to feel really slow and busted. I think if you don't have offline support, your app is going to feel busted. You should be able to access any of these web applications on an airplane, and they should work offline, and then when you get back online, they should sync, just like any native application. Those are all things that I think are going to be a big a big focus for us over the next five years. Just all of those things that you'd expect out of a native application. For example, if you open your mail.app on your Mac, you don't expect it to be like, oh, there's no internet connection. You cannot read any email. That would be <laughs> quite frustrating. And yet that's exactly what happens with Gmail today. So sanding down problems like that is, I think, going to be huge for us. What are the different strategies for providing a backend for Ember apps? In the Ember community, I personally know of people who are using Rails on the back end, Java on the back end for Skylight, the product I work on. We use both Java and Rails. It's big with PHP, Laravel, Django, Firebase is a hosted real-time solution, Hoodie. You know, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. This is the the really 
I think, really powerful thing about Ember. There's actually a, there's a really great talk at EmberConf by Godfrey Chan from this year, from EmberConf 2015. Really great talk, and it was hilarious. He, he, he was a really hilarious, entertaining presenter, but he made a few really good points and, and actually highlighted to me the value of Ember. He articulated it much better than I have ever been able to, which is uh, he talked about the adapter pattern, and he said, uh, and I'll do a really bad job of paraphrasing him here, in a well-architected framework, there, are ba- there can be bad frameworks, there can be ugly, poorly implemented frameworks, but in a well-architected framework, each piece is decoupled from each other piece, and they talk together using a well-defined adapter layer, right? There's this adapter API that lets one module talk to another module. And so if you want to swap out a module, that adapter layer is already well-defined for you. Conversely, if you want to build your app using a bunch of micro libraries where you go, you know, you go pick 20 libraries and you put them all together, now you are the one writing that adapter layer, that glue code between these different modules. So in some sense, it's actually easier to make a large framework like Ember more flexible because the flexibility is built in. And I think that's absolutely true, especially when it comes to Ember. There's already an adapter layer built in. If you want to talk to a million different backends, Already on NPM, there's 100 different packages that help an Ember app talk to various different backends. And if the particular backend that you want to talk to isn't there, or you have like a custom proprietary one, it's quite easy to write an adapter that makes Ember talk to that. Is testing as important for the Ember community as it is for the Ruby and Rails communities? I think testing is just as important. We inherited a a lot of people from the Ruby and Rails communities, and they have brought a sense of the importance of testing that I really appreciate. Now, I'll confess that there was a time when even though people in Ember wanted to test their apps, it was somewhat difficult to do. And, And that just was largely a function of the immaturity of the tooling and the immaturity of the JavaScript ecosystem of the tools there. Do you feel it is already pretty mature these days? Um, we've, we've been working really hard on it. Testing in Ember is good now. Yeah, if you, for example, if you start a new Ember app, you're using Ember CLI, you've got generators built in, every generator generates a test. So you generate a new controller, boom, you've got a test. You generate a component, boom, you've got a test. Like any relatively new framework, you know, our testing libraries, there are a few rough edges, but we're constantly sanding them down. I think the story is good now. I think next year is going to be really great. And compared to tools like RSpec on Capybara, is it still a long way to go, you think? Well, um, I actually think, when specifically Capybara, our, our story right now, I think, is far better. Because everyone I talk to who's used Capybara says, you know, it's a really great, useful tool, but oh, it's so slow. And in fact, the Ember community tried using Capybara or, or things like it for a long time to run their integration tests. But every test, remember, Capybara starts up a browser instance, runs a test, and then shuts it down and starts up a new one so it's fresh. So, And that, that was actually the key benefit of the dependency injection system in Ember. We have an API we call the container. And the container is, you can think of it as just a bucket that when you start up your app, we put all of the objects that build up your app into that bucket. And between test runs, we can easily just throw that bucket away when we're done and start a new one, start a new instance of the app, and it's so fast. So if you're running an integration test or a suite of integration tests in an Ember app, it's lightning fast. The browser window isn't closing and opening and closing and opening. You actually see your app right there on the window just running. It's like a, you know, like a ghost in the machine clicking through it, but it's lightning fast. So already, I think when it comes to integration tests, our story is much, much better because it's so much faster. 
speed is a crucial feature for tests. When I call it, when it comes to RSpec, I think RSpec has been around for a long time. It's got you know very very nice developer ergonomics. A lot of the affordances in RSpec are due to the beauty of Ruby as a language that JavaScript unfortunately doesn't have yet anyway. But I think we'll get there. I, I think what we have now is good. Maybe maybe not as nice and pleasant as RSpec, but good enough to get work done. And, and it's constantly improving. Thank you.